All right, here we are with another <clears throat> episode of Musings with Matt. I think this is my 24th episode, I think this is. Um, and I have my one of my best friends, Larissa Cahill, here with me today. And she is an educator. She's been a teacher for how long? How long have you been a teacher, Larissa? Uh, 16 years. 16 years. She's been a, so she's been working in education for 16 years, most of it in... Uh, New Hampshire, but she now is in Egypt. So, um, <clears throat> I would like to start, Larissa, with just your just your story on how you like became a teacher and how what led you to get into working in education. Yeah, so I started off in university as a theater arts major, um, and uh, I had every intention of uh, pursuing that. And I think as I I went along. Um, I realized that I kind of had two talents, um, <laughs> and one of them was um, uh, theater, was, mm -hmm. was one talent, you know, as a performer and a writer and a director, but the other one was uh, working with kids, uh, yeah. no matter what I was doing, whether I was a Girl Scout camp counselor or volunteering at the local community center, I always enjoyed being around kids, so I think that as life kind of started happening for me, um, I realized that that was going to be the trajectory of my life was to do both of those things, to work in um, performing arts as well as with young people. Mm -hmm. And so, um, so as I continued, as I continued my degree, I, I added the education major in order to be able to, um, to be able to teach. And uh, I became a full-time theater arts teacher in Claremont, New Hampshire in 2004. Mm -hmm. And I stayed at Stevens High School from 2004 to 2019 mm -hmm. um, was my last year at Stevens. And, uh, and now I'm still teaching um, theater arts and drama in um, an American school in Cairo. Yeah. So so yeah, so that was my that was what um, that was what drew me to education in the first place was just um, just a desire to work with young people. I really yeah. enjoyed it from the time I was young. Well, it's definitely I can compare my experiences with working in a school to working in uh, with adults all the time, and I can definitely um, I definitely agree with the fact that working with young people, younger ki or kids, is more enjoyable. Um, <clears throat> overall you know what I mean yeah I mean there's always that excitement especially in the performing arts too where and I'm sure that you feel this way as a uh, as a coach where there's that excitement um, and that enthusiasm that is uh, really fun to be a part of um, mm -hmm. when you're working with especially teenagers because it's kind of new for them, whereas right. adults get a bit jaded, mm -hmm. um, you know, about whether it's sports or acting or whatever. Um, but but kids, when they're experiencing that rush of performance at mm -hmm. the first time, uh, there's that you you get to be there guiding them, and there's a thrill to that. Mm -hmm. And and I, I I've enjoyed doing that every single time uh, we put something up on the stage. There's that feeling, and so. It's 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 very rewarding and one, very exhausting, as yes. you know. <laughs> uh, one thing that yeah. we can talk about, and I wanted to talk about this with you, is the similarities. Not so much of the actual performance, but the the preparation between um, a 
like we'll use football because I'm a football coach and a performing arts mm-hmm. and a performing because there because there really is from what I've understand and watched and and uh, being an expert at one of the things. Um, <clears throat> there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of similarities. Like for example, um, you're constantly like when you practice, it's all about like. For us, it's all about like repetition and learning our and learning mm-hmm. and learning our uh, what we're supposed to do at this time. What what happens when when uh, a certain team comes out with this look and we have to do this or and and I, I guess and it's like an endless thing, endless um, amount of adjustments. I kind of feel like getting ready for a musical is kind of similar. Can you talk about that? Absolutely, it is. I mean, when it comes to first of all, just learning the basics and the skills. I mean, and, 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 you know, like the drills that you do, getting in shape, uh, vocal Things we all do for sports, too, getting in shape. That's what we're doing, right, that's what we're doing first, where the first, the first thing we do is to start to get in shape for the work that we're going to do, and then, then when it comes to, um, rehearsal, that's very similar to creating plays. Mm-hmm. Um, and then trying out different ones to see what one will work the best right. and also to make sure that you build up the skills in your performers so that when something goes wrong, which inevitably it will, right. that they have the just skills like in, to... Just like in a football yeah, game. Exactly. <laughs> just like in a football game because something is going to go wrong, a piece yeah. of scenery is going to fall, somebody's yeah. going to forget their line, um, a microphone's going to break, um, uh, a light is going to go out. Um, at one point, we had a rehearsal when we were doing The Little Mermaid where the, the ceiling caved in, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like so mm-hmm. in, the, in the auditorium. So at any time, something's going to go wrong. So you're going you're gonna to work with your performers to make sure that they have the skills to keep going when that happens. Right, to, exactly. To roll with it, to be flexible. And that's funny, and, uh, a, a couple things from that that I would – because I, I find how interesting how you mentioned um, you have to get in shape for what you're doing. So I just went through. Yeah. Oh, first off, I just went through the weirdest football season that I've ever gone through it, yeah, because of COVID. It's because of COVID. Yeah. It was it was unnerving. It was like there were times when we were made to like we ended up going to the championship game this year, and uh, yeah. we the entire staff was like, we don't really know if we should go to this game because it's in Pelham and the coronavirus cases are high. But one, but I wanted to talk about because this season we didn't have the preparation that time that we right. had in previous seasons. So um, usually in a regular football season, we start in August. We have two weeks of just practice with double sessions. Mm-hmm. We have two weeks with yep. just two weeks with just practice with double sessions and then two scrimmages and then we play our first game. So you have like three right. and a half, four weeks of just preparation. This year, we started late and we played a game a week and a half later. So yeah. we, we found ourselves this year talking about, well, why didn't they know this? And why don't they know how to do this? Because we didn't have the four weeks of preparation time to teach them all the – we had to start practice and go right into game planning. It was, it was, it yeah. was, it was really, really hard, um, especially yeah. – so that's, I'm sure this, that same type of thing, you know, when you talk about how you need to prepare and be in shape – you know, we didn't have that time this year, and we were very sloppy and turned over the ball a lot yeah. and didn't block a lot of things correctly. But it's nobody's fault because we usually teach all that stuff. No. But we were trying to teach 
teach it all in such a condensed time on instead of having like, instead of having four weeks instead of having <laughs> instead of having four weeks and two scrimmages which are like games but they're like practice you know practice games to get you in that it was okay we're starting okay we have a game in a week and a half good luck yeah <laughs> it was crazy well uh, yeah, I can imagine, and I think, and you know, because I saw you over the summer that when I was back in Claremont, I was able to, we were able to put on a performance at the Claremont yeah. Opera House um, following the CDC guidelines for performance over the summer yeah. where the audience was social distance, we had masks on for rehearsals, mm -hmm. lots of hand sanitizer and things, so we were, we were working on a performance, and the, the thing that we kept going, coming back to, and the thing that... I think that you you probably all felt too as coaches and players and people who just are so passionate and love what you do so much. You're just so grateful yeah. to get to do it during the during something like this um, so, the pandemic. You do, you just miss it so much that you're willing to throw uh, out some of the preconceived like we can only do it if we have this. We have to mm -hmm. have this. It's like then you just strip it all down and you're mm -hmm. just like okay. You know, tomorrow we could get shut down, so let's appreciate mm -hmm. this game, even if it's sloppy, mm -hmm. it, even mm -hmm. if it's not there as was, polished of a performance mm -hmm. as we want it to be, it's still an opportunity to do the thing that we love to do the most, right? I mean... Yeah, so uh, this and, football and, season, yeah. I had a lot of, like, mixed opinions and emotions more than any before because... So, you're not social distancing when you're playing football. Like, that's not a right. thing. That's not a, that's not a thing you can do and play football. So the, the fact that we even played, you know, we did things, we disinfected our pads and helmets at the end of every practice. We started the season with just a regional schedule. So we were just playing, we were played, we played Lebanon and we played uh, Hanover and Newport and Fall Mountain and all the teams that were close to us rather than going across the state. Um, so we did do things, but we went into the, like it was, so like, we would go and play a football game and then like we wouldn't shake hands and we would wave to each other at the end of the game but it's like we just played football for yeah. three hours and yeah. um we just don't adhere to the like we're wearing masks on the sidelines players had to wear a mask when they weren't playing when they were playing they they didn't but so we were it's, it's almost like we it was weird and um it was just a weird situation the, the entire the entire year and um, I don't. We were the we were the only state in the in New England that played football fully. So yeah. And then and then it comes into like so it's like I have like my football coach brain and then I have like my science brain and they were like clashing each yeah. other all season. It was very hard. Yes. Yes. Uh, and, and that's that's the thing. Um, and, and that can make you a little bit crazy. I have a. It did make me crazy. Is a, yeah. Well, I, my friend is a dear, my, my probably my best friend um, uh, from when I was uh, uh, first having my children. Um, she is a she's a registered nurse in California, and she is actually taking care of. COVID patients at the hospital that she works at um, in the sub ICU and then the ICU and you know so I would get a lot of my information from her and at the end mm -hmm. of it she just said you know you take all the precautions you can but at the end of the day if you don't live your life while at the same time being safe and responsible um, you're just going to make yourself crazy with this right. uh, and, I, and, I, and so to me it was finding that balance where 
um, when we were doing our performance, um, we had a healthcare worker who was on our staff that was um, the, the, you know, part of the directing team that was, you know, making sure we were following the guidelines as we, as we should, but at the same time, you know, everybody's going to pull their mask down and take a breath. You know, you're going to yeah. take your mask off for a minute to drink your water. Well, that's what's going and on in I school too, Working in yeah, the school and you and this I know year. Education, we, are, we are in a battle with our, our students all the time who want to push back and not wear the masks. And mm-hmm. um, and we don't want to wear the masks. And yet we have to be the police <laughs> and make yeah. sure that they're doing it. Um, and so, you know, and you're just like, okay, I, I, I don't want to be responsible for someone getting sick or hurt under my watch. But at the end of the day, you just have to trust yourself, live your life. And, and do your very yeah. best. Um, well, and at the and end of the and be responsible. And at the end of the day, and this is where we're gonna pivot. Um, you need to have people in charge that are willing to make confident and right decisions. That's one thing yeah. that I've learned. That you know, we're living in a state, and with um, our current governor, um, who makes decisions, mm-hmm. who makes decisions based off what's best for himself and his family, and not all the like. One of the biggest reasons we played football at all this year, and then we had to have an open playoff tournament that nobody want. No, the majority of the coaches didn't want to do um, in the entire state, not just by school. And we did it because Chris Sununu's son plays football, and he wanted his son to play football. So he basically held the NHIAA hostage all season, and we ended up having to go to Pelham for a championship mm. game. And we we only made it there because the semifinal game got canceled because the team had COVID. So yeah, the team had to uh, forfeit. I see. Yeah, the team. We we won our first round game, and then we our semifinal game got forfeited because the other team had COVID. This is a crazy story. So um, we're going. They were supposed to play Winnesquam, which is in the Tilton area, and mm-hmm. we're at the school. We're getting ready. And like 10 minutes before we were about to leave, I, we get a call and we're like, the other team has has COVID on their team. We're not going. Game has been forfeited. Like, and we had to tell, had, had to have all the kids turn their stuff back in, had to tell all the kids, tell all the parents that were out there. It was, it was just, it was, I, I hope I never coach a, a football season like this one ever again, to be honest with you. Yeah. Well, I think that I, and I, and I agree with you and that's, that's hard thing too, because like something that you're just like, okay, well this benefits the thing that I like to do, but is it really responsible? And what is the motivation for allowing it? Yeah. Um, Well, that was the battle that I had all season in my head. Yeah. And I understand that. Um, I can understand that because you're just like, is it, is it a good idea? Is it a bad idea? Is the person who's making the decision making the decision in terms of what is in the best interest for these young people that are in our care. Um, that, and so that has been a struggle that most of us um, have been facing since basically last February or March. Yeah, and we have you know, to... You're just thinking, are the people that are making the decisions, making the right decisions, um, and, and what is the motivation of their decisions? Well, I also as, think... As we're facing this crisis. Uh, we... What I've, I also think, like, we really have to look at data. Like, like so uh-huh. w- this summer, <clears throat> when we had... When it was still the pandemic, but we were getting like 30 cases a day in New Hampshire, and now we're getting mm-hmm. like now we have like 400 to 500 cases a day, and that those are different. Wow. Yeah, those are different situations. You know what I mean? 
mm-hmm. a, a community having 30, 30 um, cases a day versus a, well, a state, a state had getting 30 cases a day to getting that many in just a matter of two months, that change. Um, you need to have different, you need to be able to think differently when the data presents different, um, you know, obstacles and dynamics. Like, and that's where I feel like, you know, we were so stuck in like this ideological battle that we're like unable to do that with our experts and certainly with our politicians. That was, and I agree. And as someone who now lives abroad, trying to, um, explain the logic uh, that was happening in the United States. And and just remember that the world watches us and everybody's paying attention. Um, They were paying attention to the election. They were, uh, I I felt so on display um, in the days following the election because Mm -hmm. the people that were here watching, you know, they were like watching my reaction to what was mm-hmm. happening. But but they pay attention to what the United States does and to try to explain that the whole idea of um, uh, social distancing and wearing face masks had become a political issue in our country. Yeah. People would just shake their heads at me and they would say, how, how could that be the case? How could the idea of just following simple public health guidelines become a political issue and and then I had to explain the thinking behind it and people would still shake their heads is that, yeah. that, that, that there just wasn't logic to no. that so and there I mean, still is Matt that I, yeah that I had to and it's still a fight talking with people that, uh, that yeah that I knew and and care about and they would say yeah well this is probably just uh this probably just a hoax it's probably not real it's probably blown out of proportion and then I, I would just have to bring it back to a real person that they knew, and I would say, hey, do you remember my my friend? Yes, I know her. Okay, yes, yeah, remember she's a nurse, yeah. Okay, well, she told me what it was like to work with young, healthy young men and women that, that got COVID that would have to um, end up not, you know, on a vent for six weeks and mm-hmm. then go to um, a rehab after that to get their lung function back. So, uh, you know, maybe you don't believe the politicians, but do you believe Missy as yeah, an eyewitness well, exactly. healthcare professional who's doing this? And, and sometimes it would have to be that. Or, um, you know, the and, fact and that... It's just a sad state of a society. Yeah. The, the fact mm-hmm. that someone like Dr. Fauci has become like a political person, like he's not a political person. Like he's a doctor. Like... The only reason he's become like a political person is because he tells what he he knows from his research as from a, being a physician and from being a scientist and he says what he he says his um, statements based off the data and what he knows and then somebody's like some guy who doesn't have the same amount of education as him just say well you're just doing that because it's your agenda and it's like no I'm not like this is what I know, and, you know, it's very frustrating because, like, Dr. Fauci shouldn't be a political anything in America. He shouldn't. Or around the world. He's not a political person. Yeah, and that's the thing is to even is, is to even put that out there um, as though healthcare professionals um, are, where really, at the end of the day, it's, it's a public health issue. I mean, there are people that... That's, that's their whole area of expertise is the idea of public health and studying disease control and, um, you know, the idea of what happens if. Well, what happens yep. if the worst case scenario happens? People spend their entire careers studying that. 
um, and 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 making recommendations for these worst case scenarios and planning for the worst case scenarios, and then to have folks that you know have no idea how the how that even works to question. to question the judgment of people that have spent their entire lives and careers, you know, uh, doing that is, 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 it's maddening to be it perfectly is. honest. It's maddening. It is. And yeah. that's the dynamic we have. You know, it's, it's, it's like me going, you know, to, a, yeah, to me saying somebody who is a neurosurgeon, like, well, how much do you really know about the brain? Yeah. Do you know? <laughs> like, <laughs> how much do you really know? You know, or or asking an astronaut, like, how, how much do you really understand about space? Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> you know, someone who works for NASA, do you really understand space? Like, asking someone like Dr. Fauci, well, how do you really understand uh, diseases and pandemics, and yeah. what's best for us? Because yeah. that's what my life's work and what I've done for 12 hours every single day for the last 60 years. Jeez, I don't know. Maybe like it, it is maddening. Um, but there is there is a light on the on the horizon because I can say to you right now that Donald Trump will soon not be the president anymore. Whether regardless of what he says or what his people think or what he tries to do on January 20th, unless he resigns beforehand so he can get pardoned, which he could. Donald Trump will not be the president mm-hmm. anymore, and that's a good thing. And how are you feeling? How are you feeling? Is that giving you hope? How how are you feeling about this? Um, um uh, these attempts in the various swing states to bring up these lawsuits. Have well, you were you have you been worried or no? Because, I mean, I knew he was going to do that. I knew we knew that he wasn't going to concede, even like even like like we knew that that's what he was going to do. He was going to try and fight it. Um, Thankfully, I think that for the most part, the, the complete corruption and complete unworthiness of our federal government hasn't quite seeped down all the way to the states yet. You know what I mean? I think we still mm-hmm. have some decent – we still have decent people in our government, I think, regardless of party affiliation. And that mm-hmm. that has given that has given me hope. Um I think. Listen, I think. I think Biden's going to come out when he becomes president, and he's probably going to make some good decisions. Like he's going to rejoin Paris Climate Agreement. Like on the first day, he's going to get a, t- a team together to try to get the 540 migrant children reunited with their families. He's wa- he wants to work very hard with that. Um, he wants to. He uh, yeah. obviously coronavirus. You know, he, he's got a team filled with like 25 doctors to get ready to try to get this pandemic under control. That's obviously a good thing. So, um, yeah. and I think just looking at Trump's behavior over the last couple of days, I think he's realizing that he lost. I don't think he'll concede. I don't think he'll, I don't know. I don't know. Um, he's going to, con- he already pardoned Michael Flynn and he's going to do more of that. Um, but I'm feeling yeah, like, that. I'm yeah. feeling better um, that the damage he can do in the next two months or less than two months now are uh could be could be lessened and honestly i just like when he's not the president anymore like i don't really fucking care what he does like i i'm just i want the demand to not be on my news station and affecting fucking everything anymore you know what i mean so yeah yeah and i i I completely understand. Like I have felt, uh, I was I was talking to someone last night on Thanksgiving as I was calling the rounds, and you know who is still concerned. Well, you know that this is happening and that has happening. And I said, you know, 
uh, it's kind of like watching a toddler work themselves yeah. out of a temper tantrum. Do you know, like just and when, just letting uh, just letting the you know kicking and screaming on the floor and walking away until they've exhausted themselves. And I said, at the end of the day, I feel pretty confident that on January twentieth, um, uh, we're we're going to have a, a new president, um, and very uh, happy that we've made history with our our vice president, and uh, and, and and that and that it's not the that it's not over. Um, no, that it's, not, it's not even it's, close it's to being that, over. Um, no, exactly. It's Trump take a not long get, time Trump not being president for four more years though is a very good thing. Oh, one hundred percent. I mean, I still go back to I still go back to what I told you uh, a week before the election in twenty sixteen, and yeah. I I've eaten my words and still feel horrible that I was wrong. Where yeah. where I just I still was so naive to think that. Uh, our country wouldn't do that, and um, and how wrong I mean, we all were. Uh, I, I wish that we had an ability to travel um, now, because I think it would be quite incredible for us to come full circle. Yeah, as you know, and and you, as you know, but maybe your listeners don't know. Um, four years ago, we were we were together down in Washington D.C. Yeah to uh to protest the inauguration and you and i were eyewitnesses to the fact that yep. it was a ghost town that day it was um so no matter what lies were spent, saw more we protesters saw than trump people yeah exactly. well it had laid let all the protesters through the right. through the security gates it, that he would have been accurate but we saw the empty stands mm -hmm. we saw the empty uh um the you know big big places to go and of course the next day was the women's march that my daughter and i went to i would love to go full circle and it'll happen go back down again to go back down again and be there for a different kind of occasion so if we were if we were able to travel if we weren't in the midst of a global pandemic mm -hmm. i would drop everything and 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 go there what, what, what would you think wouldn't it be amazing to do that it would Matt? it would be amazing to do that yeah. Um, I don't mean to be Mr. Cynicism now, but uh, I'm going to hold, I'm still going to hold Joe Biden accountable with stuff, you, you know, because, um, well, I'm yet, to, this is just the point I want to make. I have yet to, I, I think he's going to be, a, he's going to do some good things and he's going to, he's already made some good choices with his cabinet and things like that. Yeah. I just want to see him, you know, like, so... Like in Florida, in Florida, where Trump won and they elect, but they proposed a fifteen dollar minimum wage, and it and it mm -hmm. and it won in Florida. Um, yeah, you know the issues like legalizing, like legalizing marijuana, um, healthcare for all, um, and you know the, you know the issues that I, I've talked about and you've talked about. There, if you don't attach them to like a Democrat or Republican name, like we know what what party's closer to that. But those issues and are very popular in this country. Like most people yeah. want health care for all. Most people want a fifteen dollar an hour minimum wage. Um, so I just hope that I just don't want Biden to be too center of the road where he's 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 ignoring the fact that listen, progressives help you, helped you win. You know more, yeah. much much more than they did with Hillary Clinton. They voted for Biden much more than they did for Hillary in 2016. Um, so you know, don't try to go so far into the middle ground where you're not 
meeting their needs at all. I know you're not going to go Medicare for all. We've already decided that. We've already, you know, I know you're probably not going to address income as wealth inequality as much as I would like to see. But, you know, don't acknowledge that those voters, those Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, progressive voters helped you win. And if they didn't, we you wouldn't have won. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I well, just. Well, and I think that's that's our civic duty and responsibility is to always hold our leaders in check. Yeah. Um, it is to always, uh, no matter who is in charge, and and I know that frequently we get complacent when it's our own candidate or mm -hmm. our candidate or our political party who's in charge, where we kind of can breathe a sigh of relief and assume mm -hmm. that everything's going well, but that's not always. Um, that's not always the case. Yeah. Um, and, and we do need to be paying attention to what's going on. And we still have to keep fighting and giving support for those progressive issues that, yeah. you know, they sound, they, we call them progressive issues, but they're oftentimes just human right issues. Exactly. Um, and like I said, you know? We are our, our, our politics is so polarized in the fact that, you know, oh, Democrat or Republican. And, you know, I, I heard I can't remember who I heard make this point, but I thought I thought it was really good. If you take the political parties away and you just talk about the issues like the issues we were just talking about, um, most people agree. Not everybody, but most I would say 60 to 70 percent of America agrees with a, a Bernie Sanders type agenda. If you just take uh -huh. if you take all the labels away, you know the socialism and that he's a Democrat. For some reason, for for seventy two million Americans who that's because that is another thing I'm remembering. Seventy two million Americans still voted for Trump. Like Biden got Biden got the most votes ever by a candidate candidate in history. Guess what? Trump's second. So, um, yeah. so we have so we have to remember that. Um, for some reason, the Democrat, that having a D next to your name to those people is like poison, and we got to figure that out, or else, or else I feel like we could say somebody who's not quite as like fucking moronic and stupid as Trump comes along, but has that right wing ideology. Like that person could still win. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I think well what we what we've learned from from the last several presidential elections that it really has to do with um, who appeals more. What it's it, what person, not as not what party, what person yeah. appeals the most to what frequently ends up being what they call the rust belt, which is our working frequently a working class mm -hmm. Um, America in the in the mid-Atlantic Midwestern states um, because they frequently uh, are attracted to something of a Bernie Sanders yeah also, and the reason a lot of those people Trump, went and those yeah seem, those seem like polar opposites but there was something that was appealing yeah. Um, to with both of those candidates in the in those uh, areas. You're right. Which obviously, um, and also they were attracted to a Joe Biden too. So so I think what we what it comes down to is what issue yeah. is important to those to those or what issues are important so to those voters. I think all of a sudden, yeah. I think Trump in 2016 was very different than Trump in 2020 because. Trump in 2020 had pissed off at pretty much everybody outside of his base. 
in in twenty in twenty sixteen he won Wisconsin and Michigan because he went there when Hillary Clinton didn't go there and said, "Don't sell your house. I'm going to bring your man, manufacturing jobs back." He lied, right. obviously, but he went there and told them that. And Hillary Clinton didn't even go to Wisconsin. Joe Biden went to Wisconsin during a pandemic. Joe Biden worked very. I was watching. The, he worked very hard for this for uh, in this in this election. Um, so I think, and obviously those people knew that Trump lied because he did, hasn't tried to do anything since he's been president. So I think that's why they vote. A lot of them voted switch back and went for Biden because there was a lot of and you hit on something that Bernie and Trump actually share a lot of voters. Sometimes I know people who it does. It might sound crazy, and it is crazy because they 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 are polar opposites, but they both had the same kind of um, like. The system isn't working for you. I'm gonna, you know what I mean, and that outsider kind of, um, it's a thing that Bernie really has, and Trump fakes about it because he was the most establishment president we've ever had. But he had that, you know, kind of f the system. You know what I mean? That's why I think that they shared people a little, a little bit. Yeah, and it, and I, I, but but I like to hear those conversations. I have. Uh... A friend here, um, and, and I'm living in Cairo, and my friend is, is uh, young. He's um, 23, 24 years old, and he is, I believe, from Ghana. Mm -hmm. And we are, one of our favorite things to do is debate is to debate American politics when we see each other. <laughs> um, and so he, uh, he is a fan of Trump, but he is also a friend or a fan of uh, Bernie Sanders and AOC. Like he, he's, he's very much interested in all of those people. And so I very much needed to figure out the common thread, like yeah. what attracts you to, and, and it really what it came down to for, for him, because it's like for, for us, we've become so tribal when it's become mm -hmm. like it, our people versus their people like we are so polarized for for him what he was finding is just listening to their ideas um just listening to their ideas and uh aside from what their political affiliations and i don't know what he gets um, from trump then because i've tried that with him but numerous times and he's the worst person trump is just the worst well he's, he's gonna go down in my opinion is the worst president we've ever had in every facet of the word and every description you can find when it comes to corruption, yeah, when, it I'm com very interested. when it comes to corruption, when it comes to intellect, when it comes to lying, when it comes to just everything, he it, compassion, um, racism, sexism, homophobia, like all of it. <laughs> he, he's he, so I, I do have a hard time when people say, oh, I listen to the issues and then they say, oh, you know, I like Trump. Like how? <laughs> Uh, I was recently thinking about two days ago about the campaign, and I was thinking about uh, the um, the rallies that were going on. Um, one of them was at a conservative university or a Christian university in the South, and how everybody in the audience was so excited, and, and as as young Christian men and women, for him to um, to to use the term kung flu. Like they were, they were egging him on to yeah. get him to say Kung Flu. And when he said it, they, they it cheered, um, you know, that he, and, uh, and I was thinking to be able to like kind of race bait like that and, and yep. then to have, 
to have. Well, how many times has he done that? Like, we can't even count all the time. University and and have them, you know, gleefully uh, championing that he would do it. And I thought to myself, how did we get here? And I think to myself that uh, that it's it's a counter. Um, it's a counter to uh, the idea of of us on the other side getting offended by it. So it's almost like the more offensive you can be, yep. the more the more humorous it is, and the more upset it will make us. It's like it's it's like it's like goading. It's yeah. baiting. It's, and it's um, it's all and it's all well. It, you know they have they have signs that say make liberals cry. You know, make liberals make liberals cry again. Like you're, you, like, yeah, right. I, you just, I don't know. It's right. So it, it's, and Trump represented you know, that. And, and you know, to and to 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 be excited to call yourself something that's deplorable. But then I thought to ourselves, like as as women, after after Trump made all of his remarks back in twenty fifteen and sixteen. We all embraced and that we were all nasty or, you know, women. You know, remark, so, yeah, what? Well, well, like remarks he's made his entire life when it comes to women. You don't have to just look at when he was yeah, running for yeah. president. So it's, it's just, yeah, I think that the the thing I've been thinking about so much is how divided that we've become. And mm-hmm. you know, it used to be that you could, you could cope with our our family's political differences, but of late, you can't. It just almost seems like. You know, now it just becomes like, uh, how? how, how, how can so, we overcome this? So here's and, the, here's the issue I really see. I like, you know, my politics, and you know how passionate I am, but I want to like come together really badly. Like I'm tired of fighting with people all the time. You know, yeah. I re- really yeah. am. I'm really tired of fighting with people about this stuff. The problem is, is that while there are issues that we can try to come closer on, there are also issues that you can't you don't have common ground like um like with black lives matter and with the lgbtq mm-hmm. movement mm-hmm. and with abortion mm-hmm. and healthcare mm-hmm. and social services and you know being a social services professional and hearing that the president wants to cut 1.2 trillion dollars from medicaid over the next 10 years that makes my heart sink so um yeah. so the problem is is that while they're the the want to come together, I want to come together. I don't know if everybody does, but I really do. Um, th- like there are some things that you know there isn't common ground. Like there's not common ground for me for gay marriage. Like gay people should allowed to be be married. That's 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 my so that makes it hard. You know what I mean? Yeah, I agree. Yeah. And I think that the only thing that we well, you know me pretty well, and there's always just a couple of things that I do. Um, is one of the things I always think about is I, I look at history, and I think to myself when when we when we study uh, history and we we study like uh, sociology and human beings in general, mm-hmm. the people that are usually on the side of the oppressed are generally the ones that are um, regaled as heroes later on. Do you know, like, mm-hmm. okay, so if you if you marched with for civil rights in the 60s, if you marched with women in the 1920s, like, mm-hmm. you look at that and then you think about the people that were in the 1950s um, with fire hoses outside churches, you know, like, uh, shooting little, little children with water. Mm-hmm. Um, and you think to yourself, like, those people believed they were right. Mm-hmm. 
but but my hope is that I never end up being someone on that end of the fire hose. Yeah. Because my feeling is, is if I'm standing with someone and hoping to achieve human rights for them, then I, I hope that I'm standing on the correct side of, of history. Mm -hmm. that, that's always my goal. And so that's the message that I just try to tell people when they disagree with me about mm -hmm. my stances on things, is mm -hmm. that that's, that's always been what my, what my benchmark is. Justice. Um, ju justice and, and, and human rights, and especially yeah. human rights for oppressed groups. Yeah. Um, groups that don't have the voices and you and I know and we're we can kind of circle it back to education where we started yeah. this conversation Yeah. but you and I know that children are frequently like the most oppressed group yep um, <laughs> so there was anyone, like, there was another topic I want yeah. and this is actually segueing perfect into this um, I want to talk to you about because my uh, podcast also has a lot to do with like um trauma backgrounds and um, i've done a yeah. couple podcasts with uh with the uh, therapist at the school for like 50 minutes uh -huh. all we talked about was trauma and what it does to the brain and aces and all that you you've worked with traumatized children um can you speak to what it's like for a child when their brain is constantly in survival mode and their amygdala is constantly firing and they don't have food or adequate playing what that does to their childhood uh, it does it well. It does several things. Like yeah. first off, in the in the moment, it's kind of it's kind of like um, you're always being in fight or flight, always constantly assessing whether a situation is dangerous and if you should be fighting it or running away. Um, uh, basically, me it puts your whole whole system into chaos, both mm -hmm. your physical and your mental health. Mm -hmm. um, making it almost impossible to self-regulate, mm -hmm. um, to be able to sit in a desk for any length of time and, and pay attention at school, mm -hmm. um, to not know if, if home is a safe place, to not know if, um, you know, like you said, where your next meal is coming from, to not, um, and, 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 and it makes basically makes your emotions uh, completely hard to regulate too. Yep. Um, a, a lot of a lot of uh, strange behaviors will frequently come out of that, and, yep. and anger, um, mm -hmm. like uh, randomly at any time. Because we've worked we've worked with uh, children that were traumatized together. You know, we yeah. worked for the same organization, and sometimes when we would be on an outing, it would. Feel I do like it. You had, That's what I do for a living now is work right. with traumatized children. <laughs> I mean, I remember being in, uh, driving the van, thinking to myself, like, we're, you know, working with children, giving them, uh, trying to give a wonderful summer camp experience, but thinking, like, at any point in time, it's like having little, like, uh, seven ticking time bombs in the Seriously. that, you know, uh, so it'd be different than a typical, maybe, child scuffle where they get into a little argument like it, it, it could escalate very very fast mm -hmm. and it's it, it breaks your heart for the children because it's a very heartbreaking yourself, like, thing to watch you should just be able to to just have to be able to live your life and have a childhood where you can play and socialize well, and be with your friends and um and so it's it's extremely challenging and often it makes you do two things one is that in some senses the child is growing up way too fast mm -hmm. um meaning that they have to make decisions that typically adults would have to make and they have to be 
caregivers in the same way mm -hmm. adults have to do. And they've seen things that should only adults should have to see. Mm. Um, and on the other side of it, even though in some senses they have to grow up too fast, the other side of it is that their, their emotional growth is stunted. Yep. Um, sometimes in the place where the trauma first occurred. So you and I have seen that although these kids can be very savvy and be able to meet their needs in some of the most um, in some of the most profound ways, that's pretty amazing. Like their survival. Yeah, because they've had to learn. Phenomenal. Because they that's what they've their done their entire life. Emotional skills might right. Their emotional skills. They may have the self regulation of a toddler um, and and be you know eight or nine or ten years old, but you know have a temper tantrum in some ways like you'd see a toddler have a temper tantrum even though they have survival skills that would be unparalleled to even some adults mm -hmm. so those are some of the behaviors those are some of the things that you see when you're working with childhood trauma victims yes yeah. and uh, to to put yeah. it in a scientific light um like your 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 brain and your in your human it's supposed to develop in a certain way and when that is like disrupted, mm -hmm. when that's disrupted and you have to do things that normally your development isn't at par in order to do, um, like because you, you have to, um, it, set, it screws up your development and your brain structure for the rest of your life. Like it rewires you, you know, I, I've actually gotten into this um, thing lately where there's been um, a lot of. A lot of, out of three years, there have been a lot of children that have been diagnosed with autism, but they have just mm -hmm. had extreme trauma because their brains got rewired that way. Not because, not because of, because um, obviously you can be born with autism and have your brain rewired, have your brain wired differently that way. But if you get traumatized, that also rewires your brain and makes it function differently. So there, we've had a lot of people, a lot of children who get diagnosed with autism, but are really just very traumatized and that is just throws a whole nother um aspect aspect into it and it comes from you know um i think i think this has a, and i did a podcast about this i think it has a direct correspondence with income and wealth inequality you know if you're if your parents don't get what if they work hard and they mm -hmm. if they don't get um they work really hard and they still struggle to pay their bills and they're working 70 hours a week and they and trying to be a parent you know that can that causes them to do things, which causes the kid to do things. There's a trickle down effect. So if we could ever address that issue, I think a lot of problems like not you're never going to fix everything, but I think it would help. <laughs> it, 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 you're you're absolutely uh, yeah. They, they it, it does frequently have that correlation. Um, you know, and stress in the home can do that. Stress. Uh, you know, thinking about medical care and mm -hmm. whether or not if you get sick, you're going to be okay. And if you get sick and somebody needs a surgery, are they, is that going to mean the family's going to get evicted? Does that mean that, you know, you're going to be in debt and you're never going to be able to own a home or mm -hmm. get out of that debt if you end up having to pay a $1,200, $2,000, medical bill along the way? These are, these are equity issues when it comes to, uh, um, you know, just human human rights, mm -hmm. and then and then you're right, and then it it will always impact the most vulnerable of us, and and 
that's frequently our children. Right. Um, so, so yeah, I, I agree a hundred percent. And you, you've studied some child development, and I remember when I was first studying child development, and uh, I think it's studying Erickson, and just mm -hmm. you know thinking about that first thing that we learn when we're babies as to whether or not we can trust our environment. Right. You know, you you don't move past stage one unless you right. you can trust. Right. Your basic needs are going to be met that mm -hmm. when you cry for help, somebody's going to feed you and wash you and change you and make sure that you're comfortable. And if that is not, those needs aren't met, you have, your first lesson in the world is that you don't trust it. Yeah. That's the first thing you yeah. learn and you don't get out of that if you don't, you learn so early on that the world is not a place that I can count on and I can trust. It's so, um, so true. There's so much, yeah. so much truth to that, but that's that's why you know it comes down to, and that's what you know, especially since like I find myself like intersecting a lot, you know, between like my work and like and like and then politics and like all the things I do, and um, it because it, it's because everything has a trickle down effect, you know, to, to, and affects. Um, it, at the end of the day, our, our world is just a giant group of systems that are trying to work together. When your systems don't work right, you have problems. Right. You know? Right. And, and people in general, like societies in general. I was having a conversation with a teenager in distress yesterday about, um, you know, the cruelty of teenagers. And you and I know this as oh, working yes. in high schools. They can be very, very, very terrible to one another as they're learning how to be human, you know, to be adult humans and mm -hmm. uh, navigating through that. And I said, you know, it'd just be easier if we all could live on our own islands, right? <laughs> yeah. We don't have to deal with each other. Um, the fact that we are that that, that we are social creatures, uh, yeah. sociology, like we have to mm -hmm. be around each other. We do, and we have to coexist in 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 some way, shape, or form. Is really the, 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 the biggest problem is so that, that we... Human the, beings the, the human result. beings are interesting, right? Because like you can need, cause they can give you two different types of connections. They can give you a connection where like you really can't stand them and you won't want to be with them. And then you come into the humans that you love and you want to spend time with. And that's an amazing feeling. So it's, it's, it's you know, you know what I mean? Like it, it, in that, I know being something for me, like talking to my friends that I, that I trust and that I love. And uh, being around the people that, you know, um, I trust and love, it gives me, like, energy. You know, you know what I mean? It, it, and it allows me oh, to go yeah. do things. Absolutely. And, and, uh, and yeah, you're right. Because if we were on our island, it would be horribly lonely. I mean, mm -hmm. we've all, most of us have seen Castaway where yeah. Tom Hanks is, is stranded on the island. And, and, and how not that fun. and miserable that would be. But, you know, but it is a double-edged sword because at the end of the day, we have to deal with each other. We, we have to disagree. We have to find common ground where people that we just can't, we don't understand their worldview. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and I found that to be the case when I was really young and first involved in politics and go, thinking to myself, like, I can't believe that the person that I'm in school with that I just had lunch with has these views mm -hmm. that are so different than my views. But yet we could we could sit together and eat together and, you know, talk about recipes and talk about mm -hmm. places we like to go. But at the end of the day, uh, this person doesn't believe in equality for everybody in yeah. terms of uh, gay rights, and I do. And how is that the case? Um, you know, so so 
navigating through that is really challenging. And now living in a living in a foreign country and a, and a different culture where, you know, the, the worldview is very, again, very different mm -hmm. to try to see life through those other lenses to really understand and then to really cement why you think what the way you think, like mm -hmm. what, what makes you have those opinions. So yeah, I try to challenge really, my views as much as I can. Yeah. And I think being around people that challenge those views is really great, which is why one of the things I definitely admire about you is you don't unfriend people on social media who disagree with you. No, I, I don't unfriend I, anybody on social media unless they like, unless they like maliciously attack me or my wife. But right. somebody who disagrees, no, you know, like, it's not yeah, no, supposed to be how I, it works. I, <laughs> I'm impressed at how you will engage. Um, you will engage and you have a good well, that's because number of, of people. Like I was talking about you earlier, that's because of the want to, I want to come together. I really do. Like, I don't want to fight every day yeah. anymore. And you can't, I, it's I, the only I, way to do it. I, I will tell you, I will make a confession that in the last part of the, um, Last couple of weeks of the election, I had to unfollow a few people. That, yeah. um, just I, I didn't unfriend anybody, but there was just uh, I, for my own mental health and well-being, mm -hmm. <laughs> I found that I had to unfollow some threads on, on uh, social media It'll... because social media for me was a break, like from my day where I would just need to kind of go through and try yeah. to get some peace and tranquility and i think for the last uh few weeks of the in the election cycle i needed um i needed to to, to look at like-minded people's stuff yeah. but i was fully aware um looking at it that it was definitely a skewed view of things yeah. um because well, I, I knew that there was yeah just as much on the other side have you heard of or seen the new documentary the social dilemma i have not is it great Yes, and it's it's spectacular. Actually, it's on Netflix, and it is um, made from people who used to work in the social media industry and uh, no longer do because of ethical reasons. And just talk about their talking about their business model and talking about how you know they first off their goal is to get you to be on that app or if you're going if you're on Facebook, Instagram, or whatever to be on that as much as you possibly can like they want you to be and so they mm -hmm. they they literally tailor your experience towards what you like and what um you uh what your views are and like well that and that's why part of the reason why i think we've gotten to tribes recently over the last 10 years is because of social media you look at somebody who's a trump supporter and they like all these trump groups well that's what their that's what their news feed is going to be flooded with you know what I, you know what i mean um and um, so it, it, it's and it, it's just another example of how the corporations, in my view, it's just another example of how the corporations are really like trying to take over every little aspect of our lives, especially in in, in the United States, but I think everywhere. And um, so it was very it, it's it's I, I still use social media, but I, it's kind of changed how often I'm using it and started one of the reasons I started a podcast was because I want to use social media less and have a different way to get my yeah. outlet. <laughs> yeah, and I think that, that I think that that's extraordinarily wise and I think that being aware of it too, like as soon as if you uh, 
if you go on Amazon and look up uh, something you want to purchase and then it's strange you're scrolling through Facebook and all of a sudden you see a lot of advertisements for, you know, the thing that you just wanted to buy. Yeah, that's no joke. You, you that happened. That like, that's the case. Yeah. Really? You know, and then also, uh, I, I think that I was I was watching something recently where if, if the, you know, you're someone who's interested in holistic medicine or natural, natural remedies, that sort of thing, that that can bring you down a rabbit hole into anti-vax and yep. then all of a sudden you're on QAnon boards. Um, yeah, and, which is the Q, QAnon, Q, let's face it, QAnon is the Republican Party now, so. I hope not. I, I really, really hope not. I, I think I um, think we're unfortunately that's unfortunately where we're going to be headed. Um, yeah, especially especially if Trump becomes when he when he's not president anymore, and if he starts his own television network, which I think he's going to try to. Mhm. Mhm. Yeah. And that that's that that's where we are. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I mean, um, I could be wrong. I hope I'm wrong, that, but. You know what's, what I, I find kind of interesting when I think about it is that the whole idea of the internet has been to really be able to access anything, like all of the information, all of the history, all of the information mm -hmm. in the world at our fingertips. Mm -hmm. um, and yet it is it is flipped on us and had the opposite effect where now we question the, yep. the facts and the reality of all yep. of that that's a where great we point. are almost no better than a primitive society that uh you know believes that you know the the, the demons in the water are the things that make you sick not germs <laughs> or the um oh, or man, that, you're so you know, right. if a woman reads too much she's a witch like it's it's uh we've come it, it, it's come again. It's almost like turned on us in a sense, you know, where like yep. our ability to to search anything has had the opposite effect in a sense. Because I noticed this with my students that the ability to research anything anymore um, and understand what it is that you're reading has really become lost. Yeah. Because the ability to just look up anything and copy paste. Just because you've looked it up and you've copy-pasted it to something doesn't mean you understand any of what you're reading. Absolutely true. Um, yeah. Um, which is almost terrifying. It yeah. is terrifying because, yeah, I, I'm, I have great concerns about the future because I feel like we're losing the ability slowly but surely to be able to critically think, and I don't like that. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, I don't. Mm -hmm. I don't like that at all. I want my. I want the our society to be able to have as many people who can critically think as possible. You know, I want to have the most as as the most educated society and educated, not just like you said, copy and pasting, but actually undergoing the um, exercise of your educating your brain. You know what I mean? Yeah. But, you know, and, and I'm, I'm not sure if this is an hour-long podcast, so I don't want to keep us, but I think that I'd like to leave on a hopeful message. Yes. Of yeah, we can make that, this a end. That, that, um, that I, I'm extraordinarily hopeful um, looking at, uh, so I'm a Generation Xer. You know, I'm, mm -hmm. the, I'm the middle child between the boomers and the millennials. 
And, uh, but I look at the younger generations. Um, you know, my daughter is a millennial. I guess my son would be considered Gen Z. And I feel good. I feel good because I feel like this era of politics have made them so much more awake than I ever was sure, when I was definitely. their age. I see, um, I see a more global society that is yep. uh, less xenophobic because, um, you know, you could be playing a video game with somebody in Zimbabwe at any right. given time. Right. I see um, a lot more understanding that love is love um, mm -hmm. from younger generations Absolutely. that even if they have extraordinarily conservative parents, um, their, their children are... Are, are pushing back and saying, know that you're speaking of my friend, like you're mm -hmm. speaking of someone I know and I love them for who they are. Mm -hmm. And and that makes me feel, and I'm also noticing that the, the millennial culture or the millennials and the Gen Z seem a lot less materialistic yep. and a lot less um, believing of what the like they're they're willing to define their own success as opposed to the trappings of success that my generation and previous generations um, held, held were held to certain standards of what that means I'm noticing that the younger generations are looking at a life well lived um, whatever that means mm -hmm. um, to them is 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 what is successful and i'm also seeing that there is a stewardship and a care of our planet that that yes. was not the case in previous generations so i think if i was to leave a message it's it's definitely a hopeful message i think you're absolutely even right as a teacher even though as a teacher i you know sometimes you'll get frustrated oh kids these days well yes that is true but at the end of the day i look at it and a lot of times i marvel yeah. And I'm hopeful. Yeah, we definitely uh, have my generation and the one below me. You know, I'm a millennial. So um, definitely much more uh, open-minded, much more if, as a whole, you know, um, rejection of all things racist and sexist and homophobia and Islamophobia and a, re a complete – I see I, I see for the most part – for, I would say about 80%. That's just from um, a complete rejection of all of that, which is beautiful. Mm -hmm. So Yeah, I see it. I see it a lot. And, and I, I'm uh, friends on social media with several of my former students who are anywhere from their 20s to their early 30s. And, and the, the, the things that they're doing with their lives and the things that I just, you know, even see them just a, a brief post, I, I feel so proud mm -hmm. of and it's not that like, oh, wow, so-and-so just bought a mega mansion or a McMansion and right. has an advanced degree and is upwardly mobile in his or her company. It's their thinking that I'm proud of. Mm -hmm. It's their worldview that I'm proud of. It's mm -hmm. the social justice that I'm proud of. Um, that's what I'm proud of. And, and that's what impresses me. Um, and and that's, what I'm, that's what makes me hopeful for the future. Absolutely. So, Awesome. I think that's yeah. a good way to end. We've been going for an hour and two minutes, so I think that's a, a good way to good point to end. I definitely, you know, you should we should definitely do this again. I feel like we have more to talk about, like always. Absolutely, we do. Well, you and I have many debates out in our uh, yeah, in our homestead lands and garage, and you know, yeah. it's 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 always it's always fun to to talk. Absolutely, it's always fun to exchange ideas with you, Matt. Yeah.